We are on front page and we're speaking to Rajan Moses, former Reuters foreign correspondent and ex-Business Times editor and Razak Cheek, the executive editor of Astra Awani. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Hi. Morning. So today um, we're going to start off with the topic of how much do minimum wage earners spend on groceries? Okay, as we know, this article uh, was out on in the Malay Mail. Uh, one of the issues was uh, if you live in Malaysia on minimum wage, chances are nearly 40% of your salary will go to groceries according to a study by an e-commerce Picodi uh, which was released uh, recently. Now, um, I'll go straight to the point. Moses, although the government just did a, a review on the minimum wage uh, mm-hmm. very recently, which was last year. Do you think the wage should be increased exponentially after these stats? Or Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, pittance that we got was a very small amount in the last minimum wage reckoning. But I think definitely there's plenty more to be made in, in terms of concession for people and take more better minimum wage out there. Raza, I mean, obviously, this issue has been in the minds of employees for the longest time. Why now? And, you know, is it because now we have a new government that it's easier for us, for the employees to, or and employees to, to discuss it? You see, when you talk about wages, yeah, minimum wage, uh, there's two sides to the story, three mm. sides. In fact, you have employee, employer, and the government in between. The government has to be seen to be looking after the interest of both. Now, when you have as an employee, you know, Rajan definitely says, yes, we need more, more higher wages. I, I I support that too. But if put yourself in the shoes of the employer, mm. productivity comes in. Mm. Um, are we at a stage where even minimum wage, you see that new graduates nowadays coming out demanding 6,000 ringgit mm. as, as minimum. Is that minimum? Yes, if it is. If you work hard enough, you, you work 25 hours in a day, if that's possible. But um, of course, uh, we need to be paid a, a wage that allows us to live. If 40% of our wages is spent on groceries, mm. is it because that's the bare minimum required to get your calories in or you know for what when you say groceries you know i see in the list uh, cheese do malaysians eat cheese yeah i mean uh, so is uh, it you a know, luxury priorities. item or a necessi- necessity yeah good to have uh, higher wages mm. but if if 40 percent is what people in the low income bracket spend on you know that's the amount of uh, they put aside every, uh, every month for groceries mm. Mm. then we have to look at what is the component what is the basket of goods that go into the groceries is it all necessary is it just sugary stuff uh, is it your basic staples mm. so there must be a study a greater study to be made to see if these are, are real essentials then mm. the, the mechanism the government in the middle should see how if there's a shortfall how that can be overcome Alright then Well coming up uh, We'll be talking about How PASS will be sitting out On the Semeny by-elections And that is after Megan Trainer And John Legend On Light We're still with Rajan Moses Former Reuters Foreign correspondent And ex-Business Times Editor And Razak Cheek The executive editor Of Astra Awani On the front page Now we are talking about How PASS will be sitting out Of the Semeny by-elections Now uh, PASS said yesterday They'll they'll not be contesting In the upcoming Semeny by-election And will instead support Any candidate Barisan National Places for the state seat Now the PASS Secretary General Dato' uh, Takiyuddin Hassan 
Khan also said that the decision was made by the past leadership the day before that. Now, how significant is past's presence in Semenyeh? I think past being a factor is not really a, a, a real big factor because mm. if you look at the numbers, overall numbers, opposition versus the government, so to speak, it, it's very clear that mm. you've got Amno and whoever else that is with them, Barisan National, and then you've got Pakatan Harapan, you know, who got their own numbers. Mm. But it's very interesting uh, election this because uh, in the past it used to be MIC should be the uh, would be the party you know that would represent uh, Barisan but mm. now everything's gone completely <laughs> different and uh, Orang Asia become a big big factor now mm. you know and it's worth noting as well they got more than 25% uh, of the stake in, yeah. in the uh, votes. So I think it's, it's changed the color the color of this uh, coming uh, poll is changed uh, very much now. And I think, the coming back to the point again, that, you know, it wouldn't have surpassed at all to be stand out uh, for this election. <laughs> it's better they lump up with, uh, you know, whoever they are favorable yes. uh, in their area versus, you know, the opposition. And uh, first time I've seen that uh, the Pakatan, you know, since after six months or eight months now, since the election, yeah. uh, put a little bit on the defensive, you know, about challenge from the opposition. Opposition, yeah. Well, it's very, yes. you know, it's still it's still fresh in our mouths that people forget that Pakatan is the government instead of the opposition. Yes. post G fourteen, how significant is Pass's alliance with Amno voters in general these days? You see, for me, if I were the upper echelon of Pass, choosing seats now and which are PRKs to contest is a no-brainer. Let the party concentrate on building and consolidating and strengthening Pass's position mm. in the East Coast. When you look at the urban areas in the West Coast, mm. there is an alternative to to pass already which mod modern Malays, millennial Malays are turning to mm. uh, in the shape of Amana, which is the breakaway faction from pass. These are the professional people, the professional ranks within pass yeah. who have brought the Malay mind to a new plane and with the political situation as it is, where pass was seen as conniving with the previous government yep. in allowing 1MDB to take place on the scale that it has. Yeah. So, um, for apart from the, I call the pockets of uh, piety that exist in the East Coast, yeah. it's a tough task for PAS to appeal to the modern, open-minded thinking Malays in the West Coast. All right. All right. Thank you very much. Coming up, Kitsian says that Roti Chana Rhodes is proof that our former Prime Minister <laughs> had failed the Cameron Orang Asli. We'll be talking about that after Backstreet Boys on Lights. We're still with Rajan Moses, the former Reuters foreign correspondent and ex-Business Times editor and Razat Chik, the executive editor of Astro Awani, talking about news on the front page. Now, we are talking about Kit Siang saying that <laughs> Roti Chanai Rhodes is proof that our former Prime Minister had failed the Cameron Orang Asli. Uh, Lim Kit Siang obviously uh, mentioned his uh, stated in the news uh, saying as he will be there, this is Najib, for four days from Thursday to Sunday, I hope he will travel the world Roti Chanai roads and non-roads to the remote Orang Asli Kampongs to see for himself 
how as the sixth Prime Minister he has failed the Orang Asli in Cameron Highlands and the people and the country to provide the most basic of infrastructure. I'm not even going to go to talk about Sarawak as being Sarawakian. We'll talk about this road to China road first. Uh, Razak, first and foremost, how strong has BN's influence been amongst the Cameron Orang Asli? You know, the reporters from Awani who have been there, they uh, when I speak to them, they talk about the absence of uh, blue flags. The way uh, where in the past you'd have you would be overwhelmed by the number of blue flags as opposed to rocket logos or whatever. Mm. Uh, now, the opposite is true. So, BN itself have found themselves in a situation of being on the back foot. Suddenly, the boot is now on the other foot. Yes. In the past, you could spend as much as you want. You could you could call upon the services and, and uh, the, the facilities from Jakowa, from BTN, from wherever. Now, you cannot. Mm. So, up to the point where Barisan National former ministers, cabinet members say, it's just a sea of, of Pakatan flags. So, uh, to say that BN is still a factor because of the choice of candidate, but with the issue which Kitsyang has cheekily introduced about the state of Roti Chanai roads uh, into the interior, uh, that could be a winner in some, some sort because when the Orang Asli community themselves look at the state of roads they have been travelling on. Kitsyang was very cheeky in saying that this Roti Chanai, the analogy with Roti Chanai is that uh, it's uh, so undulating, it's so uneven that you have to plaster it over. Hey, come on, Kitsyang, I love my Roti Chanai tampal, okay? With sardine <laughs> feeling as well. But that gives you an idea. If I went around Asli, why suddenly this concern for the roads I've been travelling all this while? Mm, mm. Uh, Moses, let's talk about the candidates running for uh, yes. the elections. What the, are their strong suits in this coming elections? Well, uh, if you look at it, there are only two candidates here. The other two independents are very small. Mm. Uh, they add a lot of colour to the whole thing. But the candles, the, the can candidates that really matter are the Barisan mm. versus uh, the Pakatan candidates. Candidates. Right. The DAP candidate, formerly DAP candidate, who is now PH Manogaran, has been here for quite a long time. Mm. This is going to be his third uh, run, I think, uh, at the election. Mm. Whereas the, uh, you know, for Barisan, it's the first time you're going to get an Amno kind of uh, twist to the whole gig that's going yeah. on there. So it's very interesting to see that um, the demographics have changed completely for the Barisan trying to, you know, do something different, different mm. uh, versus uh, PH, you know, which is same, same old, same old in a way. Yeah. Because... Firstly, you got three candidates for the candidate for twice. Uh, so I don't know, it's left to be seen how the voters uh, look at things. Well, coming up, uh, we will be talking about how the government is mulling over a curfew for those aged under 18. Now, that's after Ed Sheeran and Tears for Fears on Light. We're still on the front page with Rajan Moses, the former Reuters foreign correspondent and ex Business Time editor, and Razat Sheikh, the executive editor of Astro Awani. Now, this one, we are talking about how the government is mulling over curfew for those aged under 18. This was among matters raised and agreed uh, in a meeting of the, the Cabinet Committee on Eradicating Drugs, which was chaired by uh, the DPM, Dr. Sri, Dr. Wan Aziza. Uh, now, another pertinent uh, matter was a proposal to drop uh, a law to prevent and treat and monitor abuses of uh, psychotropic substances. But this thing about having to mull over having under 18... In your opinion, uh, Moses, and even probably, you know, either as parents or... Is there any good that comes to implementing this curfew? Okay, if you look at uh, an online 
pulled. It was just done overnight. Thumbs down was given by star read- readers saw that. The other thing is, of course, this whole thing about the under-18s uh, came out as a video clip that came out for people to just have a look at it, you know, and hear about things that happen in mm-hmm. Ireland where, you know, uh, kids are becoming different in, in the way they conduct themselves. And then now suddenly, you know, we hear that uh, there is a plan, you know, a possible plan to get our 18-year-olds to look into a curfew in case, you know, they are able to do so. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that uh, we don't have the ground uh, infrastructure, I think, at this point, mm. you know, to implement something like this. We already have problems, you know, mm. about getting uh, even uh, SST or, or doing little things that we're trying to do. You know, both the government and uh, opposition, you know, both have a hard time trying to get things going. Mm. And then add on another burden of another 18-year-old curfew, you know, Mm. coming in. A bit too much at this time, I think, you know, for our people here to digest so much for our under 18 years. uh, When there's so much more else that we can do uh, and could, where where we could get a better value. Yeah, I think the idea behind imposing a curfew is to build a cordon. The French say cordon sanitaire. I've just learned <laughs> yeah. that word, okay? Yeah. <laughs> but how much can you exclude, uh, protect kids from the influence out there where nowadays if you lock yourself in your room, you have access to so many other influence. It's called the internet. That's right. We, we look at examples in Iceland. You know, when I look at countries with the with suffix land in their name, yeah. you know, these are countries where six months of the year, they don't see, the kids don't see the sun. Mm. So, these juvenile delinquency over there stems from their physical and geographical situation. In this country, you do have the situation where kids with nothing to do get attracted to uh, criminal ways. You know, they get adults show them the mm. wrong things to do. Mm. So, instead of just curfew, you need to look at why the kids in this country behave the way they do and there is so much juvenile delinquency out there I think it should rest on their shoulders to do less politicking and do more social work Alright, well coming up we'll be talking about an ex-deputy minister that wants a task force to regulate the election campaign spending and that's after Savage Garden and Boys Town Gang on Light It's still the front page and we're speaking to Rajan Moses the former Reuters foreign correspondent and ex-business Times editor and Razat Sheikh the executive editor of Astro Awani and we are speaking about an ex-deputy minister that wants the task force to regulate election campaign spending. Okay, so the former Deputy Minister of Youth and Sports, um, Gan Ping Siu, have said the government should consider setting up a task force comprising the Election Commission, the Police, the Malaysian uh, Anti-Corruption Commission, MACC, and civil societies so as to monitor these expenses during the uh, election campaign. But question is, uh, Moses, are there any bodies regulating campaign spending now? I think this is the big question uh, we ask about, you know. The will is there. There is a will. But in terms of the actual nuts and bolts, Mm. we don't seem to be able to do it at all, you know. Uh, Right from political funding, right down to the very fact that, you know, uh, you can't even manage, you know, campaign funding funding (laughs) around. It's a good idea. Mm. It's worth continuing, you know, trying again and again and again. But we need a more mature 
democracy here, you know, to uh, be able to come up with these kinds of solutions mm. so that, you know, we can then work within what is uh, the parameters that are, that are out here. Rajan, you're talking yeah. about solutions. Yes. I, I think, let's think out of the box mm. in this one. You know, suggesting that uh, MECC police or, or election commission or whatever go down to the ground to monitor and look at, okay, you've got, you've surpassed the number of flagpoles you're supposed to be uh, seen out there. Mm. Let's think about, this is the new age, new media, government, parliament, for instance, should look at, well, you, know, you have your committee level or whatever, to think about new age campaigning where you don't have to go down to the ground, mm. make use of platforms that are free, that are open to everybody. Of course, uh, it would take a leap of faith and imagination and the willpower to do this. But I think that there are platforms already out there for which we can look and uh, evolve and Perhaps Malaysia can one day be the first country in the world for any elections, whatever. Everything is online. Campaigning is online. There's no need to litter the streets and the flagpoles and the lampposts with mm. your party flags. Let's think out of the box and do something radical for a change. Well, that's uh, ideal. Obviously, that will also come with its own sets of problems, especially when you go everything online. But in the interim, what can be done like, to ensure proper enforcement and also basically regulation of these campaign spendings? I, I think the system is in place already because anyone who feels, any aggrieved party mm. who feels that, oh, there are more pockets on flags out there uh, lodge a report I mean the system is there for them to take to go through the proper procedure it's out mm. there there is a system there uh, but how much are we actually uh, adhering to it and how much of as you say leap of faith you know is there is there such a will mm. it's left to be seen you know really because we are still uh, nine, nine months now yeah. since the election away much as we like there are so many things happening and uh, good things happen but uh, it'll take a while for us you know to um, trim our our campaigns, you know. Our to, fats, as yeah. And <laughs> but if everything goes online, yeah. then I will miss all the fun and the <laughs> noise <laughs> and the atmosphere. Exactly. Some, yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's you, something to be said about mm, open campaigning. Yes, yeah. you'll be so good. Enjoy it while it lasts. While, while, while they're shouting at each other. All right. Thank you very much. We were chatting with Rajan Moses, uh, the former Reuters foreign correspondent and ex-Business Times editor, and Razak Chik, the executive editor of Astro. Awani, thank you so much for joining us. Thank this, you. This thank morning. you. It's been a pleasure. Thank yes. you. Yes. Uh, now that was front page.